You know, taking out the grocery store has changed a little bit in recent years, right? We've got all the self-checkout, but you still, in some places, can go through the traditional. Somebody will actually check you out with your groceries. Um, not here to make a statement about which is better, but regardless of where you are, even if it's a self-checkout or a, a regular, you know, somebody's a clerk's checking you out, uh, the checkout line can be an interesting place if you really think about it. You can people watch, right? You can learn a lot about the people that you're around based on, you know, whether or not uh, they are uh, uh, able to check themselves out or, you know, just even watching how people interact and or they don't interact. Uh, it's a great place to learn patience, whether you're having somebody check you out or you're trying to, especially uh, yesterday we were checking out and I accidentally put... Uh, I accidentally scanned my onion before I put it on the scale. That is a big mistake, y'all. I didn't know this, but then all of a sudden, you know, the red light's flashing and all this, and you got to find somebody to help me. It's just crazy. So it's a great place to learn patience, and it's also a wonderful place to get caught up on the latest gossip of the day, isn't it? That's one thing that has not changed about checkout lines. If you want the latest gossip, the latest rumors, you can find it there, the tabloids. It's always interesting to scan the tabloids and see what crazy stories they are selling. Uh, and, it, you know, in some cases they get so unbelievable, it's, it's shocking, but entertaining nonetheless. And there's, I found a list of some of the, some of the most entertaining, I guess, uh, tabloid headlines of recent years, a few years back, just collected from a few. And I, I want to give you some examples, outrageous claims, rumors, false accusations. Here's a few to think about. See if you believe these. It's possible, I guess. Elvis is alive and pretending to be an Elvis impersonator. It'd <laughs> be a pretty good way to hide, though, if you think about it. If you think about it. All right. Here's, a, here's one. A pack of wild cocker spaniels terrorizes Wyoming. Mandy had a Cocker Spaniel that didn't like me, so I could picture that. I think the first time I ever picked her up for a date, he tried to bite me. I don't know what that says, but I have a hard time believing they would terrorize Wyoming. Here you go. You, you think the Titanic was, uh, was sunk by an iceberg, right? Not true. According to this tabloids, well, werewolves sunk the Titanic. <laughs> Finally, the mystery solved. Here's a good one. Uh, woman delivers own baby while skydiving. I don't want to know how that, yeah. <laughs> Caleb liked that one. <laughs> All right, here, okay, if you, if you ever, have you ever thought about what if a vampire was a vegan? <laughs> I've got the answer. Vegan vampire attacks trees. Evidently, they like trees. I don't know. I thought you said if he was a deacon. No, a deacon, <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different headline right there, I think. I'm not sure. All right, here you go. This is, I'll end with this one because I'm not going to make you suffer anymore. A uh, housewife experiences half rapture and gets, <laughs> and gets stuck in the dining room ceiling. <laughs> I guess that was her explanation. I don't know. All right. I don't know what having to being a housewife has to do with it either, but whatever. You, no wonder there's so much confusion in our culture about truth, Right. I mean, you, you read headlines like that, and the sad reality is some people believe that stuff. Um, you, there's so much confusion about what's real and what's not, what's true and what's not. And the reason is, if you really want to be honest about it, our world really doesn't hold truth very high. Truth can be inconvenient. Truth 
you know, is relative. It's defined by the individual, their circumstances, what they want, what they don't want. And so truth is, is not held very high. But believers, if we are followers of Christ, we should have a desire to know the truth and to live by the truth, regardless of what our world says about truth and what is truth. We should want to know the real truth. And we, we established that last week. Uh, we talked about Jesus' claim in the sixth I am statement to be the way, the truth, and the life, the one and only way to the Father. And he himself, truth is not an idea, it's not a concept, it's a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The, we find truth in the person of Christ and in the revelation of his word, of God's word. The Bible and faith are far from tabloids. It's not just statements that, that are far-fetched. It is the Word of God, the revelation of God. And as we talked about last week, and hopefully we'll gain a little more today, we've seen even evidence that supports that. It's not just blind faith. There's evidence to support the truth. There are unshakably grounded truths that we can build our lives on, the foundation of God's Word. One of the reasons it's important to know the truth is because Whatever our mind, whatever we think about, whatever we believe in our minds defines who we are in our hearts. And, and whatever we become in our hearts will be how we live, will turn into how we live. Whatever's inside will come out in our lives. So it's so very important that we establish in the core of who we are the right concepts, the right beliefs, the truth, the truth. And notice I didn't say the right truth because there is only one truth. And so we have to build our lives on that because whatever is inside is going to define how we live. And having security in the truth of the I am brings great change to who I am because the I am changes who I am. The I am statements of Jesus. We've been in this series. We conclude it today. This is the seventh and final uh, installment of this series, and we've learned that the I am statements of Jesus declare who he is, and who he is drastically changes who we are. And if we look at the picture of all of them together, Jesus is revealing who he is as God. He's revealing who he is as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, sort of culminating last week in that specific area with declaring exclusively that he is the only path to the Father. And then concluding this week with the seventh I am statement, he declares more about who he is and how that changes, specifically how that changes who we are in this seventh I am statement. And so when we look at Jesus' claims, when we look at who he says he is, you either have to believe that he is who he says he is. He is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life, the gate, all of those things. You either accept that or you don't. There is no middle ground because it's clear in the language he uses, the statement, I am, that he, the God of the New Testament, is saying he is the God of the Old Testament. He's declaring who he is. And so we either accept that or we don't. But if we do accept that, it drastically changes our lives. And that's, you know, the, the final I am statement really kind of brings it home, as you would imagine. Because within this seventh statement, Jesus shows us who he is, and how who he is changes how we live from day to day and how we become what he intends for us to be. In the beginning of John 15, Jesus holds the truth out. He says, I'm the vine. 
And when he says that, he's making an exclusive statement, but he's also, you know, he's saying that he is, again, kind of backing up in the sixth I am statement. He's the only vine. He's the true vine. He doesn't even reference other vines, which is interesting because when you look at other places in Scripture, specifically in Isaiah chapter 5, the nation of Israel is described as a vine. So he's using this terminology intentionally. He's saying that, that no longer he is now the true vine. And now he, you don't have to get to God through a nation of people by becoming a part of that nation. You get to God through him. He is, again, exclusively the path. And so he's, in a sense, replacing the nation of Israel here. He's, he's setting up what he's about to say by saying, listen, any other vine, any other path, we've already established this, there is no other way. And from here on out, it, it brings to mind the conversation with the woman at the well. Right, it, it, there, there'll come a time when you worship in spirit and in truth. It won't matter where your location is. Now he's saying it's not going to matter what your nationality is. You can have access to the Father. You can know the Father through me, and then you can bear fruit. You can become what I intend for you to be. And so all of that's wrapped up in this seventh statement. Jesus, we see, is the light of creation. He's the light of the world. He is the bread of provision. He's the bread of life. He is also the vine of Israel. Like the first six I am statements, this final statement is a bold one. It is incredibly bold. You know, we look in, in other religions, you know, talking about knowing the truth. You know, different religions are, are some hold similar values, right? Some hold uh, similar, similar moral values. And some, some people like to take, pick and choose the best, what they like from different religions and, and, and sort, of, sort of come up with, uh, build their own kind of Mr. Potato Head religion. You know, I, like, I pick and choose what I want. I build, you know, the, the ideal religion. But with our faith, there is complete and total, there has to be complete and total submission to God and who he is and the truth as he defines in scripture and reveals himself to be. You know, we can't go based on what we like or don't like. We have to submit to him. In this seventh I am statement, though, Jesus declares very clearly who he is and how we are to live in accordance with that and what the result will be if we do that. We find the truth of who Jesus is. We find how we can live the life that he created us to live. And so let's dig in. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And as the true vine, Jesus is saying that he is the source of life. If you want real life, you know, he's, a, he's the source of life, period, which we'll get into. But he's also the source, not just of physical life. He's the source of all life, physical and spiritual and so we see in this, this statement, John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper, the vine keeper. And so when we see I am the true vine, there's a statement there. There's life found in the vine. He's the source of, of life. Last week, we looked at how we could know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only path to the Father. He claims to be the Son of God, and we should believe him because he backs that up in, in various ways, and, and he has fulfilled prophecy time and time again through his life, his death, his, his resurrection, and his I am statements are fulfillment as well. But a lot of people question whether or not God truly exists. So Jesus can say all day long that he's the son of God, but if you don't believe there is a God, what does that matter to you, 
right? And there are a lot of people who do question. A lot of people believe, you know, that, they're, that all of this creation, you and I, that it just happened by chance, that it was the result of a bang or evolution or whatever the case may be, that it was just chance that this all happened. But what we see in this statement, we know for Scripture, and we've seen evidence, we'll look at, at, at hopefully some more, and, uh, and we see that you can't believe in Christ, what he says he is, and also believe that all of this happened by chance. It's all by design, and Jesus himself as the vine is the source of that. We know from Scripture, Jesus is God and that he is the agent of creation. Look at John chapter 1 with me, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and who is the Word? Jesus, the revelation of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he and the Father are one, which he claims as well. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In verse 3, all things were created through him. So Jesus didn't just come into existence, you know, when he was born. He was there from eternity past. He was there at creation. As a matter of fact, he was the one who did the creating. The second person of the Trinity is the agent of creation. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. But plenty of people, again, claim and believe that all of this just happened by chance. But when you really think about that, I would much rather believe that it was all by design. You know, saying that, that you know, to, to some people, time plus chance equals order. That this all, I mean, you think about it, it would be like taking a jigsaw puzzle. I'm not patient enough for jigsaw puzzles. But, you know, I, I would try this because, you know, I've got a few minutes to spare. You know, you take all the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and toss them up in the air, and they just happen to land as a puzzle. They all come together. I mean, if you really think about it, if you believe all of this happened by chance, I mean, even if you toss those pieces up billions of times, what are the chances that it would fall in some sort of created order? Okay, let's say it did happen for the sake of argument, okay? Let's say it did happen. On one billion and one, it all just falls together, all right? That would be amazing, right? I've got another question for you. Where did the pieces come from? Thinking about the world coming to, into existence, you and I coming into existence and saying, oh, this is all, and it just happened. You know, there was progression or whatever. I, I mean, to me, it takes a lot more faith to believe that than to believe it was all by design. And, and you know, the, the word tells us that creation declares the glory of God, and we can see the design in creation, can't we? You think about how the world exists and is sustained, the planet that we live on. We sit about, uh, and here I'm getting into numbers again. I'm, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I get them wrong, but we sit at about uh, less than 93 million miles from the sun, all right? Some of you are Googling that right now, I'm sure. About 93 million miles, and the surface temperature of the sun is between 10,000 and 11,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot, right? Well, it just so happens by chance, I guess, if you choose to believe that, that when the temperature arrives at earth, it's just the right temperature to sustain life on earth. Now, if you move us closer to the sun, what's going to happen? It's going to be real hot real fast. If you move us further away, what's going to happen? Well, freeze to death. 
I mean, look at the other planets. We know enough about these other planets now to know that that's the case. So it just happened by chance, I guess, that we're at the right distance to sustain life on earth. I don't believe that. I believe that, that it is not by chance, of course. You think about the rotation of the earth. It rotates at just a little over a thousand. Let me check this. Hold on. Make sure. Just a little over a thousand miles per hour. Now you take that, you slow it down by about a tenth even. Um, and things are going to change drastically on planet earth. You'll probably, you slow it down too much and you're either going to burn or freeze depending on where you are. It'd be like a rotisserie chicken. I mean, think about it over time. And even the orbit around the sun, the orbit around the sun is somewhere around 67,000 miles per hour. You take that, just start gradually slowing down. What's going to happen if you gradually slow down that orbit? For those of you that know more than I do, what's going to happen? Yeah, the sun's going to start to draw us closer, right? We've already established what happens when we get too close. What happens when we get too close? All right, you burn up real fast, all right? It's going to be gradual. I mean, if we suddenly stop, then everything's a mess. But even if you slow down just about a third, it's going to get real real hot real, real, real quick over a period of, of days even. So the rotation of the earth, we've already established the distance, but the rotation of the earth, the earth's orbit is ideal. Not just, you know, hey, it just happened. No, it's ideal or not even close. It's ideal for life to exist the way you and I experience. What are, the, what are the possibilities that that happened by chance? I mean, think about it. Use rational thinking here. What about where the moon is? It, the moon sits at about 240,000 miles away from planet Earth. If you take the moon and you bring it about one-fifth closer, and suddenly the oceans will flood the continents, I think, twice a day. So, again, the distance, perfect for the existence of life on Earth. No, I'm sorry. For me, it makes much more sense to believe that that was all by design, that a God who created, created intentionally and specifically for you and I, for men, for, for humanity, to live on earth because we see what happens when that is disrupted. And we see uh, from, from evidence what could happen if it were disrupted drastically. The, creator, the creator's hands were gentle and meticulous. Evidence of creative design to me is astonishing. Uh, beautiful examples we see in our creation declaring uh, the glory of God. Truth is, again, believing that it happened by chance requires too much faith for me. Um, I would much rather trust in a creator. So why do people choose to believe it happened by chance? I mean, really, why, why go down that road? Well, think about it, okay? We're talking about the issue of truth. If I remove a creator, that means I remove accountability because the one who created it and sustains it has the right to determine how it should function, right? And if he created you and me, he has the right, if he is the truth, he has the right to declare what's right and wrong and the consequences. So if I remove him as creator, I'm removing responsibility. If I remove God as creator, then I am now God. And I get to determine what's right and wrong. I determine my destiny. That's really, I believe, at the heart of removing the creator because nobody gets to tell me what's right and wrong. I get to say that for myself. There's no consequences. There is no sin 
if we remove God as creator. If God does not exist, then there is no sin. There are no consequences. There's just different choices. There's no need for forgiveness, just mistakes that we sweep under the rug. And, and let's be honest, who wouldn't rather have that instead of having to deal with consequences, instead of having to deal with punishment and correction? We would, at least on the surface, say, well, that sounds like a better existence, right? I don't have to answer to anybody. I get to determine my own destiny. But no, there is a creator. So there is right and wrong. There are consequences. But really at the heart of this is the desire to remove that. By removing God, you remove those things. Our faith, which is encouraged by the evidence of a world created with specific design, intention, leads us to the assurance that there is a God. And God is the designing creator with a special heart for man and an eternal sense of right and wrong, which means we sin, there are consequences, but thankfully he also has a remedy for our sin through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the source of life, and I can give you not only Have I created life, but I now can give you eternal life, which he has. He makes available through his death and his resurrection. Since it's his creation that we've tainted, we trust in his vine to forgive us. God provides his vine, his son, Jesus Christ. And we trust in the source of life to give us eternal life. Jesus claims to be the true vine, the son of God, the shepherd of our souls. All of those things we've looked at. And he also claims to be our savior from sin. And we have every reason to believe that he is who he says he is, that he's speaking the truth. Truth will always be true. Whether I believe it or not, it is still true. I don't have to agree with it for it to still be true because God says it's true. Truth becomes belief in Jesus, not an idea. Understanding the truth in our head leads to belief in our heart, which leads to right living in our actions, fruit bearing for Jesus and The Father, as we grow in Christ, as we come to him and we receive life from the vine, we then learn that in order for us to grow in our relationship with Christ, in order for us to become what we're called to be, for our spiritual health to be sustained, we have to depend on the Father to maintain our spiritual health. He is the vine keeper, and the vine keeper's job is to make sure the plants have, or grow properly. And there's a process that he goes through to do that. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 together of John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper or the vine keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You're already saved. You're clean. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about growth, sanctification. Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. You want to grow. You want to be what God calls you to be. You want to bear fruit. You've got to remain in Christ. I am the vine. Verse 5, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now, you, the, the illustration, again, you've got to remember this is an agrarian culture. They, there were there were were vineyard keepers here in the audience. There were people, even if you didn't have a vineyard, even if you didn't work in a vineyard, you knew what the process was. I mean, it was a very big part of this culture. And so when he's using this terminology, everybody understands what he's talking about. When he refers to the vine keeper, everybody there knows what the vine keeper's job is. 
and, in, and his responsibility, and his job was meticulous. The vine keeper, his role involved clipping and pruning individual branches so that the fruit could grow, so that nothing would stand in the way. He removes anything that would hinder the growth of the, the fruit, even if that means cutting some of the fruit of the way away that would, would hinder a greater, uh, a greater uh, bearing, a greater crop. He's going to prune whatever he has to in order to have, the, have that plant grow and flourish to its, its maximum capacity. That's his job. And so he works continuously, meticulously. As seasons change, he makes sure he does everything to make that plant, to cause that plant to produce a great harvest. And the Greek word that's used here, has, it really means farmer. It's a common word for farmer. And the farmer, like all farmers, are going to nurture their crops, right? They're going to make sure they do everything they can to make sure their crops grow. He nurtures his crop just like a shepherd is going to nurture the sheep and take care of the sheep. That's his living. That's his livelihood. He's going to do everything he can to be successful and to make that plant grow. And in this powerful metaphor, we see a picture of our faith. Jesus calls the vine keeper his heavenly father. He's the vine, but the vine keeper is the one who nurtures us and makes sure that we grow. And the, the, the vine keeper's role is essential to the health of the plant, <clears throat> as it is in our lives. The father's role is essential and indispensable in our lives as followers of Christ. As we submit to God daily through Christ. As we submit to him daily, he's going to prune us. And I'm here to tell you pruning is not fun. It is difficult and it can be painful. But just like that vine keeper is removing anything that would hinder the growth of that plant, there are some things as you grow that Jesus, that God is going to prune from your life that will hinder your growth. Sometimes it's bad things. Sometimes it's sin that needs to be confessed. And, and even though it is sin and it's bad for us, it can still be painful, the process of getting, that, getting rid of that. But God will prune it. Listen, sometimes it doesn't have to be sin. Sometimes it's good things. Maybe things in our life that are good, but they're still hindering our ability to produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. And we have to let those things go. Maybe it's things that we're holding on to too tightly. Or maybe it's things that we've allowed to gain a place in our life that should be reserved for God. And if that happens, that's going to hinder our growth. So God's going to prune those things. And again, it can be painful. It is painful. Pruning is never fun, but, but the end result is what God has in mind. He's more concerned with your future fruit bearing than he is with your present comfort. Because he's got a, he's got a plan. He's got an outcome in mind for you. He's more concerned with what he well, he knows you can produce for him by his power and his strength than he is you being comfortable in the moment. God's goal, you have to remember, God's goal is not that we become comfortable. God's goal is that we bear fruit, that we become like his son, Jesus Christ. That's why he created us in his image. And when that image was marred by sin, that's why he provided a way for us to be redeemed and restored so that that image could be restored. His goal is that you and I become like Jesus, not that we be comfortable in life and pain-free. As a matter of fact, he says you will have trouble, trials, pain in this world. But God is more concerned with tomorrow's fruit than he is to today's comfort. And depending on your relationship with your earthly father, this is going to have great impact on how you view this. If you, like me, had a great relationship, have a great relationship with your father, 
And he was a good father who nurtured you and disciplined you and loved you and took care of you. Then this is going to give you a good picture of this relationship, the father-child relationship that God has with us. But many of you may not have had that, and I recognize that. Many of you may have had a difficult relationship, a troubled relationship with your father, maybe even an abusive relationship with your father. Maybe that relationship is non-existent, um, and that's going to make it more difficult for you to view this in a positive light. Any pain at all is going to bring back a flood of emotion and, and memories, and it's going to be hard. But what you have to remember, and I'm not saying this is easy, by the way, and I'm not minimizing the challenges that you face if you have a complicated relationship with your father. But what you have to remember is that the Lord's love for you is greater than any human being could give. And he is your heavenly father. And if you will remain, if you will abide, as we'll talk about in a moment, even if it's difficult, and it will be challenging, it's difficult for everyone, especially if you have a troubled relationship with your father. But if you will remain If you will abide day by day, one day after the other, you will slowly but surely see that God is truly a loving heavenly father and he is faithful to complete what he started and he is faithful to nurture and provide. And even when he prunes, he does it with love. And if you will remain, he will prove himself faithful in your life and you can discover his plan for you, and fulfill his plan for you. Whatever your current or past relationship with your earthly father, we can all agree, hopefully, that dads have strengths and weaknesses, right? I know I do. Don't say anything, Gracie. But we all do, right? We know that. We know we have strengths and weaknesses. All fathers do, but not our heavenly father. He has strengths, but no weaknesses. He's perfect in all that he does. And so if he's pruning you, then you can be... Be sure that he's doing it because you need it and it's for your best because God only has strengths and he only does good things for his children. And yes, pruning is a good thing, even if it doesn't feel like it. Look at Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. What man man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God, you know, those of us who try with everything that we are to do the best for our children and to be perfect as parents, we know that we fall short. We are sinful. We are imperfect, but we still can do good things for our kids, right? And what God is saying is you, as imperfect as you are, if you can do good things for your kids, how much more can your perfect Heavenly Father do for you? He knows what's best. And sometimes... That can mean you've got to go through a pruning process. Now, I brought a rose with me this morning, and this is probably going to bother some of you, but that's part of why I'm doing it, to make you uncomfortable. Now, pruning, let's say you, you were pruning this rose, and I'm, I do not have a green thumb. If I were trying to grow this rose, it would be dead within days, okay? I, I don't have a green thumb. But if I were pruning, or if the farmer, the, the, the vine dresser, I guess, were pruning this there are times where, you know, this, this, this pedal right here is looking a little rough, so maybe we need to remove that pedal, all right? There are times in your life where you may have to have a few pedals removed, and that's, that's all of us. There are times when there may be just some minor things that need to be adjusted, you know, some disciplines we need to develop or some things we need to readjust in our lives to make sure that Christ is at the center of our lives. And, you know, when those little pedals 
you know, especially if it's spaced out far enough, you may not even really feel that that much. It's uncomfortable, right? And it, it can be a little bit painful. But then there are other times when the vine dresser just comes and just lops off the whole thing because it's not growing and it needs to start over again. Now, how many of you just has made you uncomfortable? <laughs> it was a pretty rose. Right now I can make it a boot. <laughs> now, listen, the petals, you know, falling, not a big deal. It is a big deal, but it's not like this. How many of you have ever found yourself standing here in life like this? Empty stem in your hand. And listen, if you've grown in Christ long enough, you know what this feels like. A major life change. A major transition. Maybe it was when you came to Christ. Maybe it's later on and, and you made some poor decisions or you allowed things to get into your life that shouldn't be there. And God said, all right, snip. We got we to gotta do some major pruning here. This, this may be not so painful. This hurts, Okay. If this plant had feelings, I'm, it'd probably be screaming right now, okay? This is painful. But here's what you got to remember. And listen, it's hard in the moment, but living in submission, what you got to remember is that God's plan, his end goal is something far better, as beautiful as this, far better than this. His end goal is that you be and act and become like his son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal. And so anything that's going to stand in the way of that, you better believe he's going to remove it because his end goal is so much better than your present pain. His end goal is so much better than who you are right now. And that, that means there's growth. We're not talking about salvation here. Salvation, he says, you're clean. You're already saved. It's not that we're being pruned so that we can become saved. You're already saved. This is sanctification and that lasts for a lifetime and will not be complete until you see Jesus face to face. And so there are going to be times where that's hard. There are going to be times where that's difficult. But in those moments, perspective is everything, especially when the end result is looking more like Christ, becoming like Christ. In John 15, 3, Jesus says that we are clean. Now I'm making you. By abiding in me, the, the, the vine dresser will prune you. He will work on you, and, and, and he will make you clean. The power of Christ becoming more like him, living through us. The following verses illustrate that believers in Christ have been completely changed or cleansed. This isn't, he's not saying you're clean by this for salvation, but that you become clean. All right, let's look at a few verses. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. The present you, uh, the, uh, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And then Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are clean. We are justified before God. And now we are in the process of sanctification. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We are cleansed from sin. But again, there's still that process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Pruning is not salvation. We are created new. The old things have passed away. The new things have come, but we still battle the flesh, which is why we need pruning from time to time. Isaiah 1, 18, come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. There is a process 
that we, we come, there's an instant justification, an instant cleansing when we come to Christ. And then there's that process of sanctification that takes place. And it's interesting when you look at the word that's used, when Jesus says you are already clean, there's another, it's the same word that's used in Revelation 19, 18 to describe the robes or the garments of believers in heaven. The same blood that cleanses us sustains us. And there's this process that we go through becoming like Christ. And when we get to heaven, we will be completely perfect. No more sin, no more struggles. In Revelation 19, 6, then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of a loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. She was given fine linen, a robes to wear, bright and pure, clean. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. The reason we can perform righteous acts is because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and because he prunes us daily and daily transforms us further into his image. We're not trying to clean our, this is important to remember, we're not trying to clean ourselves up to attain salvation. I've heard a lot of people say, I'll, I'll get my life in order, then I'll, I'll start coming to church, or then I'll, I'll accept Christ. Now, we're not trying to clean ourselves up to be saved. We're clean because we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You can't reverse those two things. You'll never be good enough. But once you're cleansed by the blood of Christ, he will make you what he wants you to be. And that's this process of growing and abiding and bearing fruit. We're saved and cleansed of our sin by the blood of Christ. But pruning is the process of trimming to make us more like Jesus in our daily lives. And it's difficult and it's a long process, but it's worth it because God prunes us in order that we might bear fruit. And abiding in Christ is the key to bearing fruit. If you're going to make it through the pruning process, if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to stay connected to the vine. It's a very important part of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Look at verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. An old story just before World War II in Atasca, Texas, there was a school. School was in session one day, alarm bells rang out through the hallways. Everybody immediately thought, oh, it's a fire drill. So they started to empty out of the classroom. Students are excited because they get a break from class. Teachers are annoyed because they want to teach. But nonetheless, fire drill, you got to get out. Well, they get out into the hallways, and at least in some parts of the school, they realize this is no fire drill. There's smoke in the hallways. It's the real thing. And so an orderly exit turns into somewhat of a, a panicked departure from the school. They get outside. They begin to try to account for everybody and, and sadly realize that there are many students that are unaccounted for. They, when all of the smoke clears, literally, when the fire is put out, they realize that there was a significant loss of life. 263 children were killed in the fire. Tragic, right? They also determined, of course, this is a long time ago, but they determined that there's no sprinkler system in this school. And so the school board, in order to you know, rebuild and to help Hill, they decide, we're gonna, whatever it costs, we're going to install a sprinkler system in this school. So they do that. They get done with the building. It's brand new. They open it up. Life resumes in the school. Everything is back to the normal. A new, at the time, state-of-the-art sprinkler system. Well, about seven years later, the town grows and grows and grows. They determine they need to add on to the school. So they begin preparing to add on the new building. And guess what they discover? 
brand new, state-of-the-art sprinkler system with one problem. No one ever connected it to the water source. All that time, they think they're protected, but it's missing the one thing. Has anybody checked to make sure ours is connected back here, by the way? Our new... All that time, they think, hey, we're good. We've done everything. We've, we've taken this extra step, but it's missing the most important thing. If there's no water, it doesn't do any good. You've got to be connected to the source. The same that's true there is true with us spiritually. You can go through the motions. You can pretend. You can act like a Christian. You can do all of the good things you want to. But if you're not connected to the source of life, you won't have life. And then if you don't remain connected through daily fellowship, daily quiet time, daily scripture reading, daily prayer, you will not produce what you were intended to produce. Jesus says, abide in me. Connection to the source was key to that sprinkler's purpose, and it's key to our purpose, fulfilling our purpose as followers of Christ. We can say that we are very similar to that in our walk. You've got to be connected to the source. Intimately knowing the gardener, the vine dresser, our father, changes the way we think about abiding in Christ. The branch receives nourishment from the vine. If it's not connected, if you lop it off, eventually that rose is going to die. I mean, it would anyway because it's already disconnected. It has to be connected to the source. And if we're not, we are not going to produce. We're going to dry up. We won't produce fruit. Abiding in the Lord brings nourishment to our lives. In the same way that a branch receives nourishment from the Father through the vine, Jesus Christ, and intimately knowing God changes the way that we think about abiding. You know, different translations use different words. Some of you probably have a translation that uses the word remain, right? Some of you will have one like me that says abide. Both carry a similar meaning. The idea here is that we stay connected to the life-giving source. Say that again. Remaining or abiding means we stay connected to the life-giving source. We stay connected through fellowship through prayer, through studying his word, through fellowship with other believers that hold us accountable and help us stay connected, growing, sharpening each other. We stay connected to the vine that is Jesus Christ. And in our Christian walk, we as the branch, often we will find ourselves, and it usually results in pruning, we will find ourselves at time disconnected from the vine because we've let something interfere with that. We're not growing as we should. And the sprinkler being connected to the water source was key and in similar fashion, our being connected, abiding, and a relationship with Christ is key. You know, the reality is, I want you to hear this, okay? The Christian life is, is not hard or difficult. It's impossible. Living the Christian life is impossible in your own strength. Living the Christian life is impossible without being connected to the vine. You can't do it in your own strength. You can try all you want to. Eventually, you're going to fall flat on your face. How many of you have been there? Notice my hand is raised. We've all, if you've lived long enough for the Lord and you try to do it in your own strength, you eventually fell down. You have to be connected to the vine. What does that mean? Well, to, to abide means that we desperately depend on the Lord while rest, residing rest. This is the great part. If you are connected and you are abiding. Yes, there's work you have to do. There are spiritual disciplines. You have a part in this. But what you find in that beautiful illustration of getting in the yoke with our Lord, what we find is residing restfully in his presence. We depend on him desperately, but the result of living in that dependence is peace and a rest that, not even talking about physical rest, it may be, but spiritual 
rest, being where you know you're supposed to be, growing like you know you should be growing. We seek his kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We seek his kingdom, we abide in him, and he does the producing. He, he produces through us. God works through us. As believers, we bring this home, we apply it. As believers, we don't, you can't parent in your own knowledge and personality because it's limited. As a husband, husband and wife, you can't, your marriage, you can't make your marriage work just by trying hard enough. If you truly want the marriage that God designed for you, you can't make that happen on your own. You don't just grit your teeth during difficult times or lonely times and make it through. We abide in the good and the bad, resting in the presence of God, in the presence of our Savior. You know, when I'm, when I'm keenly aware of my identity as a follower of Christ, an abiding believer, that's the only time that I'm going to be the father, the husband, the pastor that I'm called to be. If I try to do it in my own strength, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to succeed in that. I'll miss the joy. Not only will I not succeed, I'll miss the joy of abiding in Christ and experiencing him work through me. The joy of depending, living in dependence on him. The Lord's work through me is far more productive in my life and, and, and certainly towards eternity than anything I can do in my own efforts. If we abide deeply, we will achieve eternally. And John Chapter 15, verse 16, we read, we can compare the verses. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, compare that to verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, verse 16, go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So the choice is between nothing and fruit that remains. I choose fruit that remains. That's what I want for my life. Abiding in the true vine bears lasting fruit. And this, this last I am statement, doing it in my own strength accomplishes nothing. This last I am statement, Jesus, he's, he's revealed who he is. He's now changed our lives and he's now sending us out and telling us, here's how you make it. Here's how you, you accomplish the mission that I've given you. Here's how you become what I intend for you to be. This seventh I am vineyard illustration presents a diagram for life and love with Jesus Christ. And fulfilling the purpose he's given us. We're not called to produce grapes. Don't miss this. Don't go out of here thinking, boy, I got a lot of fruit to produce. We're not called to produce fruit. We're called to abide. You want to produce fruit, focus on abiding. If you abide, the fruit will come. Because that means you're living in faithfulness. You're, you're living in obedience. You're living in a healthy relationship with Christ. Now, I've used the following illustration before. But I'm going to use it again because it's, I think, appropriate, particularly appropriate. There's a couple, a news story from several years ago. ABC News carried this story. A couple from Iowa, they had been married 72 years. They both died together, hours apart, as a result of a, a traffic accident. They were going into town, horrible car accident. They were both taken to the hospital, eventually to intensive care. And their children talked about, even while they were being worked on themselves, they were concerned with the other. You know, the, uh, the wife... Uh, uh, her name is Norma, Norma, and, and uh, Norma's the wife, Gordon Yeager. Um, Norma was asking about Gordon. She's got chest pains, not in good shape. She's asking about how her husband doing. Uh, the other, uh, Gordon, he's got his back's all messed up. He's being worked on. He's asking about Norma. Well, hours go by, okay? And the, these two folks are in their 90s. I mean, there's not, 
There wasn't much of a chance to begin with, but hours go by and they realize they're not going to make it. Their, their situation is bad. So they decide they're going to bring them together for their last amount of time so they can spend time together. They begin, they put their beds side by side and they hold hands, right hand, left hand, lying in bed. Well, at about 3.38 p.m., Gordon passes away. Norma's still alive. Gordon passes away. And so he's he stopped breathing. They've, they've pronounced him dead, but they're lying there. And Norma's unconscious, but the kids see something on Gordon's monitor. They see a heartbeat. And the kids go, how come we can see a heartbeat? He's not breathing. He's gone. We see a heartbeat. And the doctor says, oh, what you see is Norma's heart beating through him. What a testimony of their relationship. But listen, that's the key to living the life that God's called us to live. Abiding in Christ produces fellowship with God. And what happens is we're not focused on producing fruit. The heartbeat of our creator begins to beat through us. And his life, our life becomes him living through us. He gives us life. He sustains our life and he produces the fruit through us if we submit and if we abide. That's where Jesus has been bringing us this whole journey. You submit to receive salvation and you submit to be what he wants you to be, to experience the life that he wants you to live. All of the I am statements, are, they, they're all, it all culminates with this. It all ends with this. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd. He provides. He's the light of the world. All of that, it, it, it culminates. It results in salvation that, that continues with abiding and producing. And if we are going to be what God's called us to be, if we're going to experience the life that he wants us to live, if our lives are going to be changed, the I am changes who I am. If we're going to be changed by the I am, we have to abide. But if we abide, the result is that we become like him in the heartbeat of our Savior. Anybody that comes into contact with us, they will experience the presence of our Savior, the heartbeat of the Savior beating through us as we walk hand in hand with him day in day out abiding with Christ let's pray together as we close out this series allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life he says I have made you clean have you been cleansed today by the blood of Christ do you know your Savior have you accepted salvation that is only available through Christ his death his burial, his resurrection. If not, you can call on your Savior today and believe and trust and receive salvation. If you are a child of God, are you abiding? Is there some pruning going on in your life? Is there some pruning that's needed? Is, some, is God calling you to submit, to let go of some things? Are you doing your part to abide, walking in fellowship with God? What needs to happen? If you are abiding, keep abiding day by day by day, complete dependence. Father, we thank you for saving us, sending your son Jesus to free us from sin. I pray that we as a result would live our lives in complete and total dependence upon you, that we would show our commitment to you daily by abiding in you, depending on you, trusting in you, walking hand in hand, allowing your heartbeat to, to beat through us and produce the fruit that you would have. And Lord, in those times when we are corrected, when we are pruned, I pray that we would submit to that. 
For those of us who know you, I pray that we would abide. Anything that hinders that, may we set it aside. And maybe that's the commitment that needs to be made for some folks today. Submission, confession, commitment. There may be some here today or at home who aren't abiding because they, they don't know you. They haven't accepted the gift of salvation. I pray that this time of decision would be the time where they surrender to you and accept the salvation that only you can provide, Jesus, through your death and burial, your resurrection. You make it possible. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would respond appropriately. Whatever you call us to do, that we would do now. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?